0: Hello, oh, and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 36 for season two, episode 10 of Star Trek Discovery, The Red Angel. I am your chief engineer, Ken Gagney,
1: And I am Captain Sabriel Maston. and because time is very short on my side, time is very much against me. I have to go th- really quick, so I'm going to talk really fast for my parts, and no, I can't do that. Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> you could just listen to the podcast at three-quarter speed.
1: Yeah, because I have to hurry. I don't need listeners to listen to the podcast at a sped-up rate.
0: And and those listeners who already listen at a sped up rate, wow, this is going to be a wild ride.
1: (laughs) So this is about the Red Angel, Ken. Um, Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. finally, we've been hearing about the Red Angel all season. And finally, we get an episode named after her.
1: Yeah, and we are like almost done. We only have four episodes left. I I was actually had no clue or I had forgotten how many episodes there are intentionally like, ah, I wonder where the story's going. So it's a little bit of a mystery to me. There's only four left. I actually looked it up yesterday. I was like, wow, what are they going to do in four episodes? And aside from that, what happened in this episode, Ken?
0: That's a good question. A lot happened in this episode. It's another one of those episodes where there are like A, B, C, and D plots. I'm going to try to provide the briefest of TLDRs. So at the beginning of the episode, Tilly finds a file in the late Arium, That is described as Project Daedalus, and it has a bioneurological signature of the Red Angel, and it matches Michael Burnham. So she apparently becomes the Red Angel in the future. Michael also finds out that Captain Leland of Section 31 was indirectly responsible for her parents' death because they were working on Section 31 Project Daedalus, which was to design and invent the Red Angel. And they were looking for a time crystal to power this time suit. And that's when the Klingons found the time crystal and, and killed the parents who had them. Meanwhile, they decided to trap the Red Angel and interrogate her. And so the only way to do that, they determined, is to kill Michael Burnham. Because Red Angel always shows up when Michael is in danger. So they set an elaborate trap, put Michael in the middle, let her die. The Red Angel shows up and they capture her with a big reveal at the end that we'll get to. Phew. Again, a lot more happened in this episode, but that is the long and the short of the arc of this episode. Does that sound about right?
1: Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, I know there, I know Ash is in there somewhere, but I just ignored it.
0: <laughs> Ash is in there. Culbert and is in there. Georgiou is in there. Uh, Control is in there. There's a lot to talk about this week.
1: Yeah, so where to begin?
0: Well, maybe not the most important part, but I want to start at the beginning of the episode, which was one of the few times we've seen a funeral for a Starfleet officer.
1: Yeah, it kind of harkened back to the old days of we saw what when Spock died. Spoiler. <laughs> <In> Project <laughs> two and some later things. And I really wish we had build up of who Arium was over the course of the season or two, because while it was good and it showed humanity and, and, or, or just it showed people and who they are and what relationship they had, we saw so little of it. And it felt crammed into me. I hate that.
0: Yeah, we alluded to that last week, and it was much more noticeable this week because the funeral did not move me. I mean, I could tell that everybody else was sad, but I was not sad because this wasn't really somebody we'd gotten to know over a long period of time. Most of what we knew about Arium came from just last week's episode.
1: Yeah, it's so unfortunate because it could have been such a moving, gut-wrenching moment. And... I think it was a missed opportunity.
0: Yeah, very much so. And we saw that they did retrieve the body, which I was wondering what would happen to that, because I thought maybe she'll come back alive because she's cybernetic. But no, she actually is gone. And that funeral, it also made me realize that we never got a funeral for Lieutenant Evan Connolly, who died in the very first episode.
1: Eh, If we did, we just didn't get to see it, maybe. I don't know.
0: I suspect there was a funeral and we didn't see it, but it also just reminds me of how... Trivial. Some people's lives are compared to others in Starfleet, where oh, that red shirt died. That red shirt died. But heaven forbid, Spock die. We will <laughs> go on an entire movie to save that character.
1: Uh, you know, it almost seems like we get them for we get these funerals
0: for officers. Because Evan Connolly was the chief science officer on the Enterprise. He took Spock's place when Spock took a medical leave of absence.
1: Uh, maybe there was, and we just didn't see it. I mean, it it didn't matter to us. Son. We hated this character from the beginning kind of thing.
0: <laughs> right. And, and and I agree with you. There probably was a funeral and we just didn't see it. But I, I still find it amusing that, oh, we didn't like that character, so we don't get to see his funeral. We're supposed to like Arium, despite hardly knowing her much better than we knew Evan Connolly, but she gets a funeral.
1: Yeah, I didn't I didn't even remember his name, so... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Neither did I. I had to look it up. <laughs> uh, we also saw Arium's memory being deleted, which... I felt very conflicted about. Did you have any reaction to yeah, that?
1: Yeah, I thought that was weird. Unless they were trying to protect the ship from control, and like they knew it was she had been infected by control's influence. Maybe they were doing that. We don't know to what regard they save stuff before they deleted it. Maybe it's in a hard drive that cannot connect to anything, uh, a backup somewhere.
0: Yeah, it didn't occur to me until later that they were doing it as a security measure because they knew that she'd been compromised. But it also occurred to me when anybody else dies, their memories disappear. And maybe this was sort of a a show of respect.
1: No, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I I like that.
0: But then didn't Tilly say that she found Project Daedalus in Miriam's files, which I thought we had just seen being deleted?
1: Yeah, so maybe she was, we don't know if she was like browsing before they did that or what. I guess we don't know the exact timeline, but she did say that. And it was after that moment. So eh. So maybe, yeah, they just have it to a hard drive that is not connected to the network.
0: Yeah, it was unclear to me where they found that file, what was saved, what was deleted, the exact timeline. But apparently Arium had Project Datalist in her, and it consisted solely of Michael Burnham's biosignature. And I was surprised at how that news was delivered. It was just at the very beginning of the episode Tilly walked into this meeting
1: i love that scene so much
0: i mean i too adore how awkward she frequently is but we've been wondering all season who the red angel is and i didn't expect it to just be oh we found it here it is
1: (laughs) i was laughing at the scene because when she barges in she's like oh i'm sorry these doors pretty much just open right on the road most of the time (laughs) making a total joke (laughs) the doors in star trek always open for the character who needs it to be open.
0: I love how meta that was. I was so empathetic to that because these doors open, these doors don't, these you have to push a little button to chime on it. And there is no real knocking on doors anymore.
1: No. So I I got a kick out of that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I like that.
1: But yeah. Yeah. Here we are. Here's Tilly. Here she is to deliver uh, some news. Just very like, yep, we figured it out.
0: (laughs) Were you surprised by the news?
1: I was actually kind of disappointed when she said, it's you, Michael, because- This is what Reddit had been predicting. A lot of people on Reddit had been predicting. And I'm like, no, that's absurd. That could not be the case. That's silly. (laughs) And all of a sudden here, they're like, yep, it's Michael.
0: (laughs) Oh, see, I was unaware of that Reddit rumor. So this sort of caught me by surprise.
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, mean, it still was a... Oh, they actually did go there. I didn't expect it, but I wasn't like, oh, oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> it also suggests that our theory about it being the AI from a thousand years in the future on Discovery may not be the case anymore.
1: Yeah. Every- oh, that's what I brought. My opening line in my notes was all my hypotheses about the identity of the Red Angel were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they also have not given us much to go on. Uh, so they intentionally left it very obtuse.
0: Right. It really could have been anybody at this point, and now we're getting more details. Right. I loved the scene in sick bay where they were analyzing <laughs> Burnham to make sure she was the Red Angel, and Spock, was he just had no filter, no discretion. And you could see Cornwell and Pike just smirking. They just thought this was such a funny exchange between these two siblings.
1: Yeah, oh, they thought it was hilarious, and I did too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like... <laughs>
0: I don't know, Burnham was like, why would not I just come and tell you what to do? And Spock says, maybe because you have a flair for the dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> it's true.
1: It's true, it's true.
0: Well, if she didn't, it wouldn't make for as good a TV series.
1: <laughs> Jumping ahead to kind of the Section thirty ones connection here, I like to put... Actually, I'm, I'm going to jump around a little bit here, but I'm going to get there at the end here. In this episode, Georgiou shows, like, she's very protective of this Michael. Um, she is very empathetic towards her in a way that we don't know Mira Giorgio to be with anyone else. And earlier in this episode, she's alludes to Michael that Leyland knows something, uh, and that, but Giorgio knows too, but, um, but she's kind of directing Michael to go find out from Leyland. And Michael goes, has a conversation with Leyland, who's on Discovery for reasons, and, um, Uh, For plot reasons. (laughs) And he reveals to her that he is the cause of her parents' death. They were Section 31 agents, or at least working for Section 31 in some regard. And he was the cause of their deaths. He was the one who ordered them to be where they were when the Klingons attacked. Because the Klingons found they had a time crystal. And Michael just goes and punches him. (laughs) I thought... That was very fitting.
0: Yeah, George, you had alluded to this previously, and I'm glad to find out that it wasn't something so malicious as Leland ordering her parents' deaths. It's more like they were on a mission for him that put them in the face of danger, which resulted in their death. So it was far less intentional, much more accidental.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, well, she let go of a lot of emotion, too, that she's built up over the last 30-some years.
0: Yeah, she, I mean, she found it very hard to believe at first because she knew who her parents were. I think she even said one of them was a, was it a xenobiologist or a xenoanthropologist?
1: Xenoanthropologist, I think.
0: Yeah. I think that was her mom. And I find it hard to believe a couple of things here that A, a xenoanthropologist would have been developing a time travel suit and B, that the time travel suit all along was Section 31's design. I mean, I can understand that they would have, held that close to their chest, but the Discovery crew originally thought the Red Angel was from the future, because the technology was uh-huh. so advanced, it could only come from the future, and it turns out that the suit itself was actually developed, like, 15 years ago. It's actually old tech. Hold that thought. Hold that thought.
1: Uh, first, it's, I'm pretty sure it was her dad, who was a xenoanthropologist, anthropologist and her mom was a different kind of scientist, and then Leyland's like, she was also an engineer. And Section 31's mission had a great reference to Voyager, right here. And other yes, moments, um, which which I'm going to get to with the suit here. Uh, he said, "Section 31 was beginning to suspect that a lot of their technolog- a lot of the technological advancements of humankind was because somehow humankind, at various points in history, got technology from the future." And Section 31 was researching this at the exact same moment. Uh, he alluded that he didn't believe that. Uh, he said he didn't believe that could possibly be true. Until the Red Angel suit. They got technology from the future that allowed them to build this.
0: Because we've seen the Red Angel doing things that Section 31 did not invent. Like an almost planet-wide EMP, for example, on the Kelpian homeworld. Or later in this episode, which we'll be talking about, a healing ray, which can apparently just bring people back to life. Mm -hmm. Those were not part of the original design of the Red Angel suit. So I can imagine that this suit traveled to the future and got some upgrades, kind of like a DeLorean. I didn't get that the Red Angel suit itself was from the future, though.
1: Uh, well, he didn't specifically say that. Just that's what I caught from the little conversation. When he was like, I didn't believe this, was, this hypothesis was even true until the Red Angel uh, Project Daedalus. And so like, why would he say until then?
0: But Yeah, what was that Voyager reference you were talking about?
1: Uh, in Voyager, the episode, Futures and uh, 29th Century Federation travels through time like they travel through space now. And in an episode, uh, a, sh- a time ship crashed onto Earth in the late, or mid to late nineties. Was it Henry Sterling? Harward Sterling? Henry Sterling, uh, found it and built a bunch of stuff and basically caused the technological advancements of the nineties. He also built the hollow emitter. So that's cool.
0: Yeah. The mobile hollow emitter that allowed the de- the doctor to leave sickbay and all the other technology that we saw in the two part episode futures End," starring Sarah Silverman as, what was her name? Rain?
1: Rain Robinson.
0: That's right. Yeah, I love that two-parter. And TrekCore went on Twitter and spliced that scene from Discovery and that scene from Future's End together for anybody who didn't pick it up watching the show this past week. It was a a great illusion that they, I mean, TrekCore really spells it out for you, but I like that Discovery didn't. And there's really no way that they could have, but they didn't hammer you over the head with it. It was just for those of you who know Voyager, this is a perfect correlation.
1: Yeah, yeah. About to Leyland, I like this scene that it's Leyland who had this information because it kind of humanized him and showed him as a person. Up until now, he's kind of been the slightly always off-camera evil person guy or possibly evil person guy uh, that can be kind of tropey in show. So I'm glad they actually kind of gave him a story or uh, finally revealed some of his story.
0: Yeah, we saw him earlier being somewhat apologetic to pike with whom he apparently has a long friendship but i agree that this was a much more emotional component to this character in which he actually demonstrated what seemed to be sincere regret
1: yeah and it's like finally all right good i can actually sympathize with this person now which i think is now going to go away because of what might happen
0: (laughs) we're we're definitely gonna be talking more about leland's fate later in this episode of transporter lock oh
1: so, so this, this scene also allows Michael to uh, get some rage ups just to go to the gym. She's beating the crap out of a punching bag, basically. And Spot comes in and uh, she's like, I don't want to see you right now. And he's like, he just keeps talking. He talks it out and he's like, I wish I could have been there when you punched him. It would have been satisfying. Because <laughs> apparently, he <laughs> yeah. to travel by now.
0: Yeah, Burnham apparently has a penchant for attacking Starfleet officers. And <laughs> you would think that she would have gotten that under control by now. And I am surprised that. Word not only about her assault on Leland, but also the news that Leland gave her about her parents had traveled to Spock so quickly.
1: And I don't remember her, him actually saying. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. So, yeah. He's, did Leland like, oh, yeah, I, I made the mistake of telling Burnham about the truth. <laughs> i <I'm> like, <laughs> tell the ship. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or maybe there's just some sort of a, like a Twitter feed for Discovery. Yeah. And Leland put it out. I was like, you'll never guess what happened to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> told the truth about her parents and got And then it has a picture of him with a bloody nose.
0: Click to read the whole story.
1: (laughs) Just section 31 things.
0: Yeah, I like the interplay between Burnham and Spock in this scene. He actually seemed to have some empathy for this news she had just found out. And it really also cemented what we learned last week, which was that not only she carries the burden of every bad thing, but also she accepts responsibility for it. And here's why. Because she couldn't save her parents. I mean, Spock yelled that at her last week. Mm-hmm. But this week, re- we really saw when she started tearing up. And she didn't even choke out all the words. She just said, like, all this time, I thought. And you know, she was referring to that it was my fault. And now she has to undo, basically, like 20 years of guilt.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's rough, yo.
0: Yeah. I half expected her to start attacking Spock and for them to spar. Because she was so angry
1: i didn't see that coming but that's me maybe maybe the sibling thing again
0: well they certainly haven't had a tender relationship to date yeah you know and last week he was throwing chess pieces and tantrums and he's certainly much more emotional so it seems to make sense that he might rise to the occasion if she's being angry he might be angry too At least, well, you know what? That's how it works in my family. When one person gets angry, everybody else gets angry. So maybe that's why I was (laughs) expecting it.
1: It's possible. It's possible.
0: I don't think that they meant this to be as suspicious a line as I'm taking it. I think this is more of my own paranoia. But near the end of that scene, Spock says, if it will make you feel better, I accept your apology. And I wonder, is that the only reason he's accepting her apology is just to make her feel better? Or does he actually accept it? You know, that if-then that if then statement, the programmer in me, makes me wonder.
1: I can see what you're going for, but I, th- I think it was him trying to be genuine.
0: I think that's how it was intended. I just, I, I realize that the fault is in my interpretation, not in how the message was intended.
1: But those Vulcans, though, it's hard, because they, they, right now he's in a state where he is showing emotion, but he also seems to be like, he, it almost seemed like this moment he was trying to be logical, Spock, so Burnham could do, use her emotions. Uh, unfiltered kind of thing. But we we know right now Spock is in a state where he has no problems expressing emotion, but I think he was just trying to be stoic and sturdy for Michael.
0: Yeah, I think he appreciates that she's in a position where, in a way, logic and emotions have both failed her and neither of them know what to do next. I mean, she is unburdening herself from the guilt of her parents' death, and he is accepting the burden of the extinction of all sentient life.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, someone else has a problem of th- except <laughs> of thinking these problems are all for them to fix.
0: And in this case, Spock might be right, but <laughs> we still don't entirely know what Ariam meant when she said, "Control wanted me to kill you." It's all about you, Burnham.
1: Yeah, everything is because of you. Well, we do kind of we start we did kind of start figuring that out. Though, at The end here.
0: Yeah, I. This is also the scene where Spock posits his theory that the Red Angel shows up to save Burnham, which I was a little confused by because. When they went to the asteroid where the Hiawatha had crashed, Burnham was certainly in danger then, but Pike showed up and saved her, and the Red Angel didn't have to do anything.
1: I thought there was a line where Michael said something along the, the Red Angel appeared to help her know it would be okay or something like that for that particular part. Or the Red Angel showed up, and then, maybe, and then all of a sudden, oh, there's Pike. I don't need to do my thing. Or maybe Michael was hallucinating.
0: <laughs> but if the Red Angel is a time traveler, wouldn't she have known that Pike was going to show up?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of weird things with time.
0: <laughs> Certainly the Red Angel shows up when Burnham isn't in danger, like on the Kelpien Homeworld or on New Eden. I found very little logic in Spock's theory. And also, this whole theory about how to trap the Red Angel, at this point they think the Red Angel is future Burnham. And they are telling present Burnham the plans to, to entrap the future Burnham which means that future Burnham knows everything present Burnham does.
1: That's what I kept thinking about this episode, too. I'm like, why are you telling her the plan? But also, time travel is very screwy. (laughs) Depends on which way you want to go with how time travel works. And it's, uh, yeah, time... Uh, it's rough. Time is tough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was it? Janeway said she's like I promised myself I would never get into one of these time paradoxes.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, they always give me a headache. <laughs> and Chief O'Brien didn't like temporal mechanics any more than Janeway did.
1: No, I mean he's the poor man who kept living like an entire life, uh, in one in one minute or something like that.
0: Did did that happen?
1: Yeah, when he had to go to jail, they they give memories for. A that year.
0: that wasn't time travel though. That yeah, was more like the kind of, it's
1: time effery <laughs> with your brain. Anyway, yeah, it it kept feeling weird to me. I kept screaming and I'm like, don't tell her, but it's also unethical to just say, hey, we're going to kill you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, and even Pike said, this goes against everything in my Starfleet training, but Burnham says, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. She didn't say that verbatim, yeah, I kept thinking that too. <laughs> I'm sure that her Vulcan upbringing certainly played a role in that decision.
1: I guess technically she said it. If me or the lives of 15 quadrillion people
0: uh whatever she paraphrased yeah so they devise this elaborate trap in which she is going to have to perish and she has a lot of feels before she subjects herself to this
1: yeah uh, ash tyler comes in here a few times in and out of the episode and she basically is like you work for section 31 you're showing your colors and then after she finds out about the news from her dad about her parents i mean she comes and yells at him like you're section 31 you're telling us who you are this is your moral compass and he's like no it's all gray i'm ash <laughs> tyler and i have the most boring scenes um oh and then she's like then when she's signed like, she has to die she's like I don't want my yelling at you to be their last conversation. Let's kiss, even though you're the most boring person on this ship. And,
0: and, oh, I, I was so disappointed in her lack of self control. I can appreciate that she wanted to have somebody to tether her as she goes into this dangerous situation, but did it have to be Ash Tyler? Oh,
1: I, I, I'm not kidding. Like, every time he comes on the screen, I'm pulling up my phone. Like, I, I'm not being hyper on Twitter when I say that, like I have no attachment to this character. If he just disappeared without any kind of plot, I would be okay with this. At least season two, Ash Tyler.
0: On the bright side, he was far less whiny in this episode.
1: Yeah, yeah, which that's cool. Like I missed that they kissed until I watched the second episode, or the second watching the second time because I was just like, I can't stand this.
0: I can see how dedicated you are to a complete report for this podcast. That's
1: why I went back to the second episode, and like, I have to watch this. I have to watch what happened.
0: <laughs> yeah, they made out. they oh. locked lips. It was oh. awful. And, yeah.
1: oh, okay, kissing someone with a beard. Ugh, okay. Hey. <laughs> I can't imagine
0: <laughs> okay, now you've crossed a line, Captain.
1: It's so pointy. <laughs>
0: Sometimes they're soft.
1: <laughs> I don't... Ash Tyler doesn't seem like that.
0: <laughs> well, you'll don't knock it until you've tried it. <laughs> anyway, I could empathize with Burnham a little bit because oh. I, I once uh, needed some surgery and I went to the hospital. It was like 5 a.m. on a December morning, so it was pitch black out. I had nobody to go to the hospital with, so I got dropped off alone. I, it was freezing out. It was dark. It was cold. I was alone. I hadn't been allowed to have breakfast. So I was hungry and I was terrified and not, and just having somebody there with me in like in the waiting room as I'm waiting to go in would have helped a lot. And I think that's what she was looking for was she, you could see how scared she was. She did not want to go through with this, but at least she had somebody to hold her before she did.
1: Yeah, I can empathize with that. I wish it wasn't Ash, but I can empathize with that.
0: On both those points, we're in complete agreement. (laughs) (laughs) I still wonder, though, how much her life was ever really in danger, because Culber was there, and they had a contingency plan where if she did die or come close to it, they were going to pull her out. So I, I wonder, especially with the Red Angel being a time traveler, wouldn't the Red Angel know, oh, she'll be fine. She has a backup plan.
1: Yeah, I, I guess maybe Red Angel didn't know about the others' plan. I don't. I had no worry about Michael's death in this, just like Saru. I know it affected some people. I mean, I mean, you know, way that we might lose Michael. But to me, it's like, no, it's Star Trek.
0: Uh, <laughs> well, is that because she's the main character, and you know they're not going to kill her I, off I don't mid-season? Know, it could
1: be part of that. It's just like Saru. It's like, I, I didn't I didn't believe that we we're going to lose this person. How about that?
0: Well, what if our Burnham died and got replaced by future Burnham?
1: I mean, we've already seen that in Voyager. Just replaced with a different Harry Kim.
0: Sure. <laughs> or even on T-Space Nine, Chief O'Brien.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: He died and got replaced.
1: <laughs> just if you ever need a new you, just go to a different universe.
0: Take theirs. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> But you had a very visceral reaction to the actual scene in which she is subjected to this trap.
1: Yeah, even the second time, it was just, it's horrible. I've seen no one talking about this horrible, agonizing, suffocating death scene where she is clearly in a state of pain. That The crew had a reactions. I had a reaction. But no one on the internet seems to have cared about this scene. And I'm just like, this is horrible. This is tough to watch. I wish there was some kind of warning, even though... Even though it didn't, it didn't have any kind of triggering thing to me, but it was still very difficult to watch for me.
0: What occurred to me watching this scene was, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this in all of Star Trek.
1: No, uh, the closest thing I, you kind of get is when someone gets vaporized by a
0: disruptor; they go Aah!
1: and they're dead in like half a second.
0: Right, the Varanteed disruptor, especially.
1: Yeah, so we have not seen a death like this in Star Trek.
0: Yeah, and we've seen torture like in Chain of Command when Picard was taken by the Cardassians, but even that was not approaching this.
1: But there are four lights.
0: There are. There are. <laughs> and But even Burnham, in the throes of agony, was able to commit to the course of action. She, t- through the video camera, said, no, don't save me. I need to go through with this.
1: Yeah. And Spock, was thankfully, he was there.
0: Yeah. I have to wonder what he was feeling, because on one hand, his sister. On the other hand, not by blood... And on the third hand, wants to save all of humanity that the Red Angel chose me to do. You know, I, I wonder if he loves Burnham more or less than the people who are trying to save her.
1: I think it's more, he was looking at it logically. He knew what had to be done. He's like, no, the lives of trillions, quadrillions, whatever, are at stake.
0: Right, but given given how much more emotional he's been lately, I have to wonder if it was a struggle for the logic to win out.
1: It's possible. No, or, or he's like, hey, we all agree. She has to die. What are you doing? We know she has to die. You <laughs> was part of the plan was she would die.
0: I would have found it more believable if he had shown not a different course of action, but a little bit more empathy for what the other crewmen were going through. For example, if he had said, this pains me as much as it does you, but we must see it through. Yeah. yeah. You know, just a line like that would have done a lot for me.
1: This is difficult for me too, doctor, but we must do this. This was the plan. We literally said she has to die.
0: This is what Michael would want.
1: <laughs> like, see here, Michael. If you want this, just keep screaming in agony. And, <laughs> and see, see, see.
0: <laughs> That's awful.
1: <laughs> but for real though, that scene was so tough for me to watch.
0: It was, and I, you know, backing up a little bit, I also question the logic of the whole trap because it seems to us that the Red Angel is on our side. It is a counter to control. And here we are trying to trap the good guy?
1: Uh, finally, get some answers, I think, what it is. Like, hey, you gotta do what you gotta do. There's a morally gray area, right?
0: <laughs> I suppose. I just can't help but wonder if they were sidelining their biggest ally with this trap.
1: Uh, it's very possible. But they also, I don't think it really knew what to do next at this point.
0: And what came next was not something I was expecting, that they actually did catch the Red Angel, despite its awareness of all of time and space i'm probably exaggerating because it's not q it still got trapped and it came out of the suit
1: maybe they let themselves get trapped
0: it's possible but what do you think about the reveal of who was the rain angel
1: i didn't expect a parent to come i should i feel like i should have at this point but i was like oh my mom
0: <laughs> yeah it's burnham's mom and as soon as we saw that it wasn't burnham i figured out who it was yeah. But I did but I did not see that coming.
1: So it's like it's one of those things like, oh, this makes sense <laughs> to your brain anyway, even if you didn't realize it. Cause like I had the same reaction.
0: But now we have to reconcile this being her mom with the timeline as we know it. Did her mom go back in time, insert herself back into the historical timeline and die at the hands of the Klingons?
1: We don't know. Again, it starts they keep giving us these little hey. This is weird, isn't it? Huh. I wonder how we got here. We'll show you later.
0: (laughs) Right. But I'm wondering from what point in time does her mother come? Like, which era of Mrs. Burnham is this?
1: So, you know, this whole Star Trek adage of they're not dead if you don't see it. We had never actually saw that. We just saw Michael's point of view from the closet where she couldn't even see outside. And so we didn't see the parents die. They
0: had a time crystal. Maybe they escaped the Klingons in the red suit.
1: Yeah. Or at least one of them.
0: Yeah. And also, you just brought up a good point. Time crystal? I mean, what a MacGuffin is that?
1: I actually looked it up, and it's a hypothesis that came out in 2012. And I didn't get a full reading because I had other things going on. But someone actually theorized time crystals in a sense. uh, I don't think they're meant in this sense,
0: but it sounds cool. (laughs) So this is 2012, our timeline? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> not the star trek time yeah
1: i think it's more of a theoretical shape of something and not an actual physical object but time crystal does sound very original series
0: oh you know what now i'm looking it up and apparently a time crystal is what harry Mud used in magic to oh. make the Sanus oh. man go mad
1: yeah i thought you knew that oh yeah i re- remembered that
0: no i forgot that
1: oh uh, yeah yep yeah. so it's not new to discovery
0: huh okay it is new to star trek as of discovery right Yeah, you're right. Even this Memory Alpha page links to a Wikipedia page uh, regarding condensed matter physics and time crystals, which, just as you said, uh, described in 2012 by Nobel laureate Frank Wilczek. Huh. I haven't read the whole article, but as you said, it's probably not in regards to traveling through time.
1: Probably not. I just also (laughs) thought a connection here. Leland had mentioned that after the Klingons came for the time crystal... Basically, all, all of it was lost, and they assumed the Klingons just dropped the research as well. So maybe her mom did escape. He thought they took it and tried researching it and gave up on it, but maybe they had nothing to take, and that's why they gave up on it.
0: Or maybe the Klingons kidnapped her and her research and made her work for them until she could escape, kind of like Iron Man.
1: Said, eh, we've already seen that in uh, Enterprise, when Phlox gave them... The, uh look at or made them get rid of the augment virus
0: that's true but i wouldn't <laughs> put it past discovery to do it again
1: eh, yeah
0: so this does explain why the red angel always shows up to save burnham we thought it was because future burnham's existence depended on the continued existence of past burnham but no it's just a mom looking out for her kid
1: yeah yeah which as we were talking earlier as i mentioned i'm wondering now that we're gonna have conflict between Giorgio
0: and her mom Oh, you know what? That's a good point. I meant to mention that because we've seen because Burnham's been seeing Georgiou as sort of a mother figure, mm-hmm. and now she has two mom figures.
1: I mean, and not that there's anything wrong with that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're right. But
1: Georgiou may not see it that way.
0: One is from a different universe. One is from a different era. I mean, these are both very displaced mother figures.
1: Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see how that develops and seeing what happens here cuz i feel like there's going to be there's going to be some tension there in some regard
0: this also makes me wonder though at any point in michael's life has she ever really been in danger
1: i guess we don't know uh, yeah i mean the red angel didn't really show up until yeah apparently L- michael was never in as much mortal danger up until now as we thought
0: <laughs> right or even if she was we know that the red angel would have swooped in and saved her so
1: uh, I- hypothetically anyway
0: Oh, right, right. We can't, with any certainty, predict what a time-traveling figure would do.
1: Right, and maybe need to be watched over by time-travel mom uh, didn't exist until the events of season two here. So time-travel mom didn't really watch Michael's life before in that regard until now because of some events in season two. Right,
0: right. Yeah, time travel is very strange. We don't know what may have precipitated it. We don't know what her range is as far as time travel goes. We do know that she traveled beyond her own lifetime to go into the past during World War III, which was in the twenty first century. So
1: we know that she doesn't have uh, quantum leap rules.
0: <laughs> That's true. Uh, you know, she's not, le- or maybe as long as it's into your grandfather or great grandfather, yeah. like the Civil War or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, she has. Gone back and changed the past, not just her present, not just her daughter's lifetime, but like hundreds of years in the past.
1: Yeah, we still don't know exactly why the World War Three people. So maybe we'll get some answers there too. Like what specifically about that is a connection to Michael?
0: Yeah, we don't know that. We don't know why she wanted the Kelpians to be evolved. We don't know why they want to save the Hiawatha. There is. We still need answers from the Red Angel, and that's not been addressed just because we know who the red angel is there's still a lot of questions
1: yeah because like i mean the red angel can make these situations where discovery needs to be there so so she can give try to hint without specifically talking but hey i guess we'll hopefully we'll get some more answers in the next four episodes because like i said discovery is very good about huh yeah that's strange huh weird right
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and we saw some other repercussions of her incursion in this episode. The the wormhole that she traveled through had to be closed, which I think I just missed this during the episode. I didn't realize that the Section 31 ship, that was going to be their job. Mm -hmm. But they closed the wormhole, but another player appeared during that scene.
1: Oh, my God. I was like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) Section 31 ship is like, Leland's like, we need more power. And Ash is like... I've given her all she's got. <laughs> and, and, uh, Leland's like, okay, I got this. I'm gonna go to my, uh, sixties, uh, goggles in the other room here to get more power. I don't know what the point of that thing was. Oh, he was subverting, uh, overriding security buffers. I don't know what this had to do with that. But anyway, he puts his eyes in these little goggles and he, and, um, he gives the computer an order and all of a sudden the computer starts mimicking his voice. And, like, practicing his voice. He's like, what? That's weird. Boing! Gets stabbed in the eye like uh, three stooges with two little needles. And he falls back on the ground. His eyes had been stabbed by these little points. At least his left eye predominantly. And all of a sudden, his left eye, the camera gets close or watches him. The left eye repairs itself and turns cybernetic.
0: (laughs) What? I didn't see that.
1: Yes, it did! (laughs) I was like, what's going on? I t- wow, what? And then immediately it but- cuts away, and Leland, you hear Leyland's voice saying, you've got the power, Ash, or something like that. You can do this. Or I don't, not like that, but he's like, you've got the power you need. And Ash is like, cool, I'll do the thing. I'm not boring anymore. And uh, stops the wormhole. But even though we know that Leyland is on the ground, not able to talk, probably.
0: Right, so that was the voice of control mimicking Leland.
1: Probably control. <laughs> I think it is.
0: I mean, I know that they did all the diagnostics and all the section 31 ships, and they all come back clean, but this is a future AI. I would not expect it to show up on a routine diagnostic.
1: Agreed. And they even alluded to that. It's, it's like all of a sudden they did go back and watch some old 20s movies or like 20th century movies and 19, 21st century movies. And they're like, uh, they're like, oh, we destroyed control, but who's to say it didn't just put itself somewhere else? <laughs>
0: So I just rewatched that scene, and oh my god, you're right. The reason I didn't notice is because it looked like a very organic process, as opposed to, say, being assimilated by the Borg. But it had to be the result of getting stabbed in the eye. You're right.
1: Yeah, so does this mean that he is being somehow assimilated now? Or does it mean he was always a robot?
0: (laughs) I don't know. And you said that this made you think of Detmer's Eye as well.
1: Yeah, the look of it reminded me of Detmer's Eye. So so, it seems cybernetic. and so. Yeah, and also, why are there pointy things in the eye goggles?
0: That is a good point. I mean, (laughs) they shouldn't belong there. I assume that control had them installed, but gee, what a modification that is.
1: I guess it could be some kind of security feature, because it's something about security buffers. Which, why is there security buffer goggles?
0: (laughs) I I guess that's a reason to not try to fake a security buffer override, because you'll get stabbed in the eye. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Maybe we'll get answers, but I suspect not on this one. I think we're just going to gonna have to accept this one is yeah, we put 60s goggle things hanging from the ceiling, so you have to make sure, are you going to get stabbed or not? Let's hope you get clearance.
0: <laughs> but also, if this means that Leland is compromised, then we're in the same boat we were before where Arium was compromised. Yep. Ah, I'm tired um. of being compromised. <laughs> so we certainly have more to find out about what happens to Leland and what... Burnham's mom is doing here, but there were some other characters in this episode that we should talk about, namely Georgiou, Stamets, and Culber.
1: Oh my gosh. And Tilly.
0: Yes, and Tilly. So they had a wonderful scene in engineering where they were devising the trap, and Georgiou had this odd line to Stamets saying, You're much more neurotic than my Stamets. Have you considered medication? And I like that Stamets just allowed himself to completely ignore that and keep talking. But then Culber walks in, and wow, the sexual tension was amazing. I don't know if it was sexual tension. I thought it was just tension because well, George Jew was very attracted to both of these men, in my opinion.
1: Yes, it, what, what Tilly's reaction made it seem like to me, she had almost kind of set this up, not knowing George Jew was going to be there.
0: Oh, you think Tilly was trying to get Stamets and Culber together?
1: Yeah, it seemed like it. But, I couldn't say for sure, but it had the air of that because Culber's like, Oh, I thought Cornwall would be here. Have you seen her?
0: Oh, <laughs> I missed that.
1: And then that's when that's when George like, Oh, this male tension in here until he's all like, but and and then George was like, get a backbone, enjoy this moment <laughs> kind of
0: thing. But also when Georgia was hitting on one of the guys and the other guy says, You know he's gay, right? <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard that word used in Star Trek. It
1: hasn't before. It hasn't.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was great. I mean, obviously, we knew Stamets and Culber were gay, but for them to just call it out like that, I loved it.
1: I had so much fun with this because she was like getting right up in Paul's face, and she's kind of like getting that just awkward closeness, and she's like, "Uh huh, uh huh, yeah," and and he's like, "Uh," and then that's when Culber's like, "You know, he's gay, right?" And she's like, "Such binary thinking."
0: <laughs> In my universe, he's pansexual.
1: <laughs> she goes up the culvert and calls him Poppy. We're <laughs> just, <or> just Daddy.
0: <laughs> and he, he was like, "What did you call me?"
1: Like, I'm gay too.
0: <laughs> but my, I think, as much as I loved all of that, I think my favorite moment was after she left, and I was asking myself. What just happened? And then Tilly, as a stand-in for the audience, says, What just happened? (laughs) It was such an authentic reaction. I felt like Tilly was totally out of her element as much as any of us were. Uh
1: Uh-huh. That was amazing. I love this scene. I love when Georgiou just messes with people.
0: It was great. This is also the episode where we saw... Kulberg go to Cornwell, who used to be a therapist. I
1: was just going to say, he finally saw a therapist. It seems like weeks later.
0: <laughs> I know. You were saying that. If only they would invent therapy. <laughs> and I um, reminded us that Cornwell used to be one, and now he remembered that too. A doctor went to see a doctor.
1: <laughs> now, if only Michael would remember this too.
0: Yeah. It was a rather short therapy session, and it seemed more filled with platitudes than any actual analysis.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, she also got interrupted. It might have been a longer conversation it had not, sure. not happened.
0: I will say that Culber seems better when he has a job, when he's given something to do.
1: I mean, I know that feeling. Sure. Days I'm down, like if I if I have a task and I need to get it done, uh, I should ignore my problems for a little while.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And at the end, Culber tried to show some empathy to Stamets and said, I, I'm sorry about Arium. And I was a little surprised by Stamet's brusqueness. I can understand him saying, Now is not the time, because you know, we're about to kill Burnham. But then he also said, It may never be the time. And he, I felt like I, I wondered what he meant by that.
1: He hurts so much. I can empathize with this very much right now in my wife. Uh yeah. I can I can see it. He said he hurts so much. He doesn't know how to how to do things right now.
0: But I wondered if Stamets was shutting the door on any potential future with Culber.
1: It's possible. I mean, we also know Stamets had got a got a job on Vulcan, on Vulcan.
0: Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. So he might be leaving at the end of this season.
1: Uh huh. Because like all his work on Discovery this season has been like basically as I don't know if a contractor, but kind of like that.
0: Yeah, until the end of this mission, basically, mm-hmm. when they go to Vulcan to pick up their captain, they might drop off Stamets.
1: Yeah, I guess we'll mm. see. Also, this scene where this happened, right after Paul says that, we have Giorgio in the background, and right when he says that, all of a sudden, the music has this ominous turn, and the camera slightly zooms in on Giorgio, and she's kind of looking at Paul, but you're not quite sure if it's Stamets or Culber she's looking at here, and it wasn't in a, an erotic way. It was a, I could use this, or this is interesting.
0: Huh. If I... I don't have a strong memory of that scene, but I thought maybe she was a little sad because she likes to see all the people having sex all the time. (laughs) And she could see that these two were not.
1: Yeah, uh, it seems like this. I I don't know. There's something there.
0: I'm sure we have not seen the last of this threesome. (laughs) Anything else to say about this episode? Because I've covered all my notes.
1: I have one more. Let's hear it. We got to see Saru, or we got to hear Saru singing. This is actually Doug Jones
0: singing oh, you know, at the very top of this episode of Transporter Lock, I meant to bring that up because I loved it.
1: Yeah, that was pretty cool.
0: I mean, we got to see him singing in karaoke carpool or whatever it's called, and I wasn't quite sure if this was him again because we actually heard the music before we saw him singing. I was wondering who it was coming from. I assume this was the Kelpian native language?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, he mentioned that. I think I was in a tweet or interview. I can't remember now specifically. He mentioned that, Uh, It was interesting to sing in the Kelpian language.
0: Because I could totally imagine this being a real Earth language. It sounded authentic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really liked that. And, you know, it was silly. When I heard that song, part of me wondered, is this going to be on the Star Trek Discovery Season 2 soundtrack CD? (laughs) It's possible. It probably won't, but I would like it if it was, (laughs) because I thought that was a really nice touch. Yeah. Well, what a nice book again. We started and ended with a funeral. (laughs) Oh. So, as you said, we have four more episodes. We've gone through ten, so we're five-sevenths done this season. And we will be watching the next episode of Star Trek Discovery together in person at PAX East.
1: Yes! I'll well, be we going to Boston in just a few days.
0: You said that you don't have much scheduled for this particular annual PAX, but I hope that's on your schedule. Thursday night, we're watching Discovery. All right. Fantastic. Until then, hit it. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. That was great. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for catching that healing eye thing that was really observant and i totally missed that
1: i uh, yeah uh that was like yeah that was uh pretty cool i guess i don't know the reaction yet it's just i can't wait to see what that is cuz i really don't it's like my mind keeps going to is this some kind of weird origin story for the borg but that doesn't fit timeline wise that we know so far but um it's it certainly feels borgish <laughs>
0: That's Swedish. (laughs) Damn it. I was just going to say that. Oh, you beat me to it.